I'd like for you to take the Word of God tonight and turn to the New Testament book of 1 Peter, if you would. And if you remember, we've been looking at this precious book written to struggling believers, Jewish believers who had been scattered. They were strangers. They were being persecuted for their faith in Christ. And uh, by the way, when one becomes a child of the king, you may be sure to face some challenges and trials and perhaps even some form of persecution yourself. 1 Peter chapter 2, we'll begin reading in verse number 1 and read down to verse number 12. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. If so be, ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious, to whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house, an holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you therefore which believe he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed or rejected, the same is made the head of the corner. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, an holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. May God add his blessing to the reading and the hearing of his word. I remind you that Peter is indeed writing to Jewish believers, Christians who were Jewish. By the way, when somebody becomes a Christian, the prevailing characteristic is now Christ. It's not, well, I'm a Jewish Christian. No, I'm a Christian. It's not that I'm an American Christian or whatever else it might be. No, I am a Christian. And this is what Peter is trying to help these believers to see. And it was very challenging because they had strong traditions as Jewish people. And oftentimes, the traditions of our heritage and culture can hold us back from that which is found in Christ. And these particular believers were suffering much because of their faith. They were forsaken by their own family, forsaken by their own religion or the previous religion. They were losing land and losing their employment, all because they were following Christ Jesus. And Peter has been commissioned by Christ to encourage these strangers scattered abroad that there's hope. And tonight I want to encourage the believer and challenge the unbeliever. 
If tonight you are here and you do not know Jesus as your Savior, then you are lost. And right now, your destiny is not very, not very bright. If you do not know Christ as your Savior, if you've never been born again, then right now the scriptures say you are seated beneath the condemnation and judgment of God. That's heavy, but it's true. And tonight, I hope that by the encouragement that we find here, you may be persuaded to look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Peter's called the apostle of hope. He's used of God to bring hope to these believers. And I, I believe tonight, I trust tonight that he'll be used to bring hope to us. And part of the way, one of the ways he does this is by giving to us, giving to these Jewish believers, these Christians, brief glimpses of what it is to belong to God. If you remember, he said, we are as newborn babes. Not really babies, but we are spiritually when you first converted. You're like an infant. And just as a newborn babe is hungry for the milk of his mother, we as newborn babes ought to be hungry for the milk of God's word. We ought to feast on scripture. He goes on to say you're like lively or living stones. The Jewish people were accustomed, accustomed to going to Jerusalem to worship in the temple. And Jesus said, you know, you don't need that any longer. You are the temple of God. You yourselves are a part of that spiritual house, a building not made with hands. And then we come now to our third glimpse of encouragement. This is at times controversial, but I hope that it'll be a blessing to you tonight. In verse number nine, Peter writes and says, but ye are a chosen generation. Amen. I've underlined that, and that is the title of this evening's sermon Ye are a chosen generation. Now, this precious truth has brought much confusion and division throughout the centuries. It shouldn't do, but it has. You, if you believe by faith on Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are a chosen generation. Two words, chosen, which is the Greek word, Eclectos, sounds like eclectic, it's exactly what it is, to be chosen out, selected out from amongst the large number and to make a smaller number. Like our friend reminds us from time to time, we are like a pack of Smarties. Chosen out from all the different colors and placed together. That's what the word means. Chosen, the word generation is the only time it's translated in the English like this, it's the Greek word Genos or genos, which literally means kindred, family, tribe, nation. We are a chosen, picked out of this world people. Ye, believers in Jesus Christ, are a chosen people. Now you might just say, hold on a moment now. Well, if you believe that, then you are this or you're that. You're a Calvinist or you believe in Reformed theology or you believe in this. Hold on a moment. Is it in God's word? Then forget the titles for a second, please. Is it in the scriptures? Yes or no? Okay. Then we must believe it if it is in God's word. You cannot pick and choose the things in God's word that you want. You must believe what is written in the word of God. 
This is Bible. This is not about a system of theology or an interpretation of Scripture. It is God's Word. We must believe it. To reject this truth is to reject Scripture. So let's forget about the isms and ologies for just a moment. This is Bible. God's Word. And we must not ignore. To ignore this doctrine is to ignore some wonderful, comforting truths. Now, some people try to explain this truth by saying, well, this was for Jews. They were God's chosen people. And I would say, yes. And I don't, I don't believe that God is finished with the Jewish people. But I remind you that Peter is not writing to Jews in general. He's writing to believers. So this has nothing to do with their nationality or their bloodline. He is talking to a people who have been born again. And therefore, this is a reference to who they are spiritually, just like he's not talking that they're literally newborn babes and they're not literally stones, but he's talking figuratively and spiritually. So he is with this wonderful truth. We are a chosen people. This is talking about the wonderful gift of salvation. And not one soul has ever been saved because of their nationality. Not one person has ever been converted, born again, because of their bloodline. Nobody enters into heaven because of the blood that runs through their veins. Only by grace are we saved through faith. The only way that we can be called the sons of the living God is by the marvelous grace of God that sent forth his own son, Jesus Christ, to die upon the cross in our place for our sins. It's his grace and only his grace. Peter's not speaking, as it were, to their nationality. He's speaking to their spirituality. These were a people that for a long time held on to their Jewish traditions. They found a lot of identity in that. We are God's chosen people, they would say. And Peter says, yes, but not because of your Jewish nationality, but because you've been born again. All you have to do is read the first chapter and a half, and you'll see that Peter speaks very clearly about salvation, the grace of Almighty God. Ephesians chapter 1, every once in a while somebody says, well, that's found in 1 Peter, so therefore that's addressed only to the Jews. Well, in Ephesians chapter 1, we looked at it here earlier today, it says in verse 4, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Ephesians is the Gentile church. You cannot ignore this doctrine. Romans chapter 9, again, the church at Rome was a, largely a Gentile church. And in Romans chapter 9 and verse 23 and 24, very clearly the apostle Paul says, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had afore prepared unto glory, even us whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. So he's talking about this group of people who are called Christian. And there's a wonderful comfort in this doctrine that we find here. There's a wonderful comfort when Peter says to these people who are going through such difficult time, you are a chosen people. Now remember the context. They have been rejected by their families. Some of you tonight know what that is. Some of you, when you first laid hold on Jesus Christ or when he laid hold on you when you were born again, you had family that turned their back on you. You had friends that left you. You were misunderstood. The people didn't quite get it. And because of that, you know what it is to be 
ostracized by your own family. And this doctrine is one that brings comfort. That when your friends and your family and your co-workers forsake you, I have chosen you. What a comfort to our soul. Peter is writing to believers, and that includes you and I. And therefore, the choosing or the election of these believers is not based on their nationality, but rather on their faith. Let's look at a couple of truths found in the New Testament about this. Don't get nervous. This is Bible. If it's not Bible, you can get nervous. If I give you anything else besides that, then you can walk out the door. But if it be Bible, hold your place and receive it. I believe that God teaches us several things about this doctrine. One of them being this, Romans chapter 8, turn there with me please. I am chosen, you and I are chosen before time. Now I love this because this explains a lot to me. My pastor used to speak about the unconscious preparation of God, meaning long before I ever came to Christ, God was working in my life. Long before I ever called upon the name of the Lord, He was calling my name. The Bible says we love Him because He what? First loved us. That's Bible. And in Romans chapter 8 and verse number 29, a passage, by the way, we're funny people, aren't we? If we don't understand something, it's easier for us to look over it, isn't it? Just ignore those verses, maybe skip out on those verses when we're reading, or just pass over, but they're there. And in Romans chapter 8 and verse 29, verse 28, a very famous verse, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Now, can I just say for a moment, your calling has a purpose. Your calling, if you've been chosen of God, called of God, then there's a purpose behind it. It's not just to sit and ride on the water slide. There's a purpose and a reason. He goes on. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. Look, he knew about it long before you were ever born. That ought to to make you take a big deep breath and exhale. Here's what that means. He that has begun a good work in you will perform it. He's going to finish it because he already knew. He already knew that you were by faith going to call upon his name. He already knew that you would follow him. And he also knew that you'd have a little bit of a dip and a bit of a stumble. He also knew you'd have a phase when you'd go through doubts and you'd be unsure about it all. He knew it all. The wisdom of God, the infinite wisdom of God is beyond our understanding. But he knew it before. The same way in Sunday school or holiday Bible club, when we announce a winner, who won the uh, king or queen of Sunday school today? Any of you? Oh, good. Very good. That's my son. That's good. Before he was, I had nothing to do with that. Before we announced that he's the king of Sunday school, they had to make that decision, didn't they? The choice was made while we were waiting and they were drum rolling on their knees. The choice had already been made. Long before you called upon the name of the Lord, he knew. He already knew it. Now that's not meant to upset you. It's meant to bring comfort to you. 
It's meant to settle you in your faith. Instead of this up and down business in your faith, not so hot and cold, in and out. No, settle you in your faith. Before we ever profess faith in the Lord Jesus, he knew us. And 1 Peter chapter chapter 1 and verse 2, we looked at it there a few weeks ago. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 2, he says, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. He knew we love him because he first loved us. He already knew it. 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul writes to this young preacher and he says this, chapter 2 and verse number 19. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. God knows his own. He knows us. It's quite an interesting thought. It's quite a mesmerizing thought. That even these little ones, God knows what path they're going to take. He already knows. There's another truth we find in the New Testament concerning this thought, this principle of choosing, of election. Not only are we chosen before, but we're chosen by grace. Now this is very important. We're not chosen because of our nationality. We're not chosen because of our parents. Not, some people imagine that if they, if they sprinkle their children or dunk their children in, as infants, and then they'll give them some special grace and abracadabra kazam, and maybe they'll be saved. No, it's by grace and grace alone. No other way. In fact, we find this all through scriptures. We read it earlier today. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. We find this truth. Romans chapter 11. I love this little thought here. There are about three chapters in Romans that most evangelical Christians try to avoid. And that's one of them. Romans 9, 10, and 11 are those that we often steer clear of. But in Romans 11, the first six verses, look at them. I say then, hath God cast away his people? God forbid. Now he's speaking again about national Israel, physical Israel. Hath God cast away his people? God forbid. For I am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. This is why I believe that God's not finished with the nation of Israel. But I do believe that no Jew will ever be saved unless they repent of their sins and believe on Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior. God hath not cast away his people, which he foreknew. What ye not, what the scripture saith of Elias, how he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed thy prophets and dig down thine altars, and I am left alone, and they seek my life. But what saith the answer of God unto him? I have reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. Even so then, at this present time, there also, also there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more, gra- of no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. Here's the second thought. We said it a moment ago. I am chosen by grace. Grace. Not by my behavior, not by my good. Let me encourage you tonight. You're not going to heaven because you're a good boy. Take a big, deep breath. Wipe the sweat off of your brow. You're not going to heaven because you passed the exam. If you're going to heaven, it's because by faith you are in Christ. 
He died for you, shed his blood for you. You've repented of your sins and believed on him. The grace of God hath revealed it to you and you have believed. That's how it is. Grace. There's something else interesting back in our text in 1 Peter chapter 2. In verse number 5, let's go to verse 4. To whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed, this is speaking of Jesus, disallowed or rejected indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Our election and choosing is in Christ. There is no salvation, there is no election, there is no choosing outside of Christ. Every once in a while, somebody gets this idea that God's up in heaven sort of picking out his favorite his favorite ones. Uh, that's, I like that color best, and I like that one like we do with, with Skittles. My children, they have their favorite color, and they leave the rest on the side. Or donuts. They choose their favorite. That's not the way God does it. No, no, it's in Christ. All those who are in Christ. That is where the choosing and the election is found. In Christ Jesus. So tonight you may say, well, am I, am I chosen? Am I one of his? Are you in Christ? There's your question. Your great question tonight is not with the business of God's choosing, but whether or not you be in Christ or not. Do you belong to him? Because, because he is chosen, I am. Because I'm in him. Meaning however the father treats him is how I get treated. Because I am in Christ. We spoke about this in the last couple of weeks. Spiritually speaking, when a person is born again, they're baptized. The old man dies. They're raised to walk in newness of life, crucified with Christ, buried with Christ, raised with Christ because we're in him. Now I am in Christ. And because I'm in Christ, I am chosen of God. Not because I look good. Not because I have some gifts to offer. But because of Christ. In Christ alone. In our text, in 1 Peter chapter 2, it goes on, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Ye also, as lively or living stones, are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the scriptures. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, speaking of Jesus, and he that believeth on him, shall not be confounded. I'm chosen by faith. By faith. How do I, you might say, am I chosen or not? Do I belong to him or not? No, no, do you believe? There's your question. Do you believe? Because the only business to which we ought to be concerned about tonight is whether we believe what God has written about his son. Whether we believe that it is true that God really did love this world and really did send his son to die for me. Do you believe it? Do you believe that Christ literally and physically hung upon the cross and took your condemnation upon himself? Do you believe it? Do you believe that he was buried and that he rose gloriously on the third day so that you could be born again? And this is the way by faith. You see, I think sometimes we put so much emphasis on the work of God to the neglect of the responsibility we see on our behalf. Believe. Some people say, oh, but you can't. No, 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 no. Just believe. Don't get carried away. Just believe by faith. There's a million other questions that could come off of that, but you ought to take your mind and place it upon the Savior and believe in Him. 
I wonder this evening, do you believe? Two Thessalonians is a wonderful portion of scripture written to another mixed church, largely Gentile. Two Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse number 13. Many people love this. It speaks of the latter days. Many of our our, uh, end-timed enthusiasts love this portion of scripture. We ought to love it all. But in this passage, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13, Paul writes, and he says, But we are bound to give thanks all way to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. Did you catch that? Through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. How did God... How did it happen? What's the, what's the practical outworking of God choosing us? The sanctification of the spirit and belief of the truth. Do you believe the truth? Are you being sanctified by the spirit of God? Are you different today than you used to be? Then rest in that. Rest in that. Stop worrying because you're not perfect. And rest in the fact that he is. The next verse says this. I love this next verse. Whereunto he called you by our gospel. How, how was it that we were called? How was it that we recognized all of these truths and doctrines? It was by the gospel. It was because somebody stood up and looked us in the face and our two eyes and said, look, you, sir, you, madam, are a sinner on your way to hell. You deserve the judgment of almighty God. But have no fear because God so loved the world that gave his only begotten son. And if you would repent of your sins and lay hold and believe that Jesus died for you, you would be saved. When that happened, when you heard those words, if you be born again, if you heard those words, maybe it was in the quiet of your own room. But something happened. The candle of the Lord was lit. You believed that that was for you. That Jesus really did die for you. I wonder tonight, do you believe? Do you believe? I warn you also with this comes the stark contrast, the reality that if you don't believe. In chapter 2 of 1 Peter, verse number 10, which in time past were not a people. He's speaking about Jewish people. They weren't really a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims abstain from fleshly lustless war against the soul. Back up, pardon me, to verse number eight. A stone of stumbling, speaking of Jesus, a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient. Now there are some here tonight, inevitably, there are some here tonight that hear this and they just don't really like it. They hear the gospel and they don't really like the fact that there's a God in heaven who's just and holy and will judge us for our sins. And they stumble at that. They don't like that. They don't like Jesus. They don't like Christ being the only way. And that causes them to stumble. And the scriptures say there very clearly in verse number eight that that results in them being disobedient. What do you mean disobedient? Well, God hath commanded all men everywhere to repent. And if you reject, if you disobey that command to repent, If you disobey that command to come to Christ, then my friend, the scriptures tell us very clearly in this text, there is an appointment for you as well. And it be eternity separated from God in hell. Now, let me just warn, let me just 
warn you for a second. Some of you get excited. If somebody rejects the gospel the first time, some of you want to mark them off, write them off, send them on their way with a ticket, one-way ticket to hell. That's not your job. There have been many a goats or something that looked like a goat that turned out to be a sheep. I'm sure that for a long time my family thought that I was a stubborn goat. I'm sure that when people preached the gospel to me and I didn't want to hear it, I'm sure that I looked at that time as if I was on my way to hell and never ever to be saved. But God is merciful. God is gracious. So don't you write people off. That's not your job. Your only job as a child of the living God is to preach this life-giving message because God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save those who would believe. So therefore we do it. We go out to the city center and preach. We stand here and preach. We talk to our neighbors. We preach. We talk to the, to the woman at Costa Coffee and we preach. We warn them. We tell them of a savior. We warn them to flee from the wrath to come and tell them of a loving God and a wonderful, glorious savior. And that's all we can do. Tonight, maybe you're here and you've never, ever been born again. And you're wondering in your own mind, do you belong to God or not? Are you one of his? Are you one of that eclectic group, as it were? I love, you find that, that thought all through scripture, by the way, come out from among them and be ye separate. That's what that is. Come out from among them and be separate. That's what we are. We're different. Maybe tonight you don't know if you belong to that group. Maybe you come into a meeting like this and you feel like you're the sore thumb that sticks out. You don't look like it, but maybe you feel that way. And if that's the case, if you don't know, you're still carrying the weight of your sins, then let me urge you this evening, look to Christ. Your only hope is in Him. Your only hope of salvation is in Jesus, the righteous one. You'll never be able to work your way. You'll never be able to be good enough to get God to look at you and say, okay, I think you're good, I'll take you. doesn't work like that. Salvation is found in Christ. So run to Him. I said it a while ago, I'm sure I won't get it quite right, but Spurgeon once said this. He said, look, I'm going to run to the very gatepost of heaven, cling to it there, the gatepost of where the Lord Jesus is, and hold on to that, and Christ and Christ alone shall be my plea. And I'll hold on for all eternity. And tonight, that's the best advice you can get. Lay hold on the, on the Lord Jesus Christ and keep looking unto him. He is our glorious Savior. Christian, maybe you're going through a hard time, a very challenging time. Sometimes you may even feel forsaken of God. You're not. You're one of his chosen of God. Don't forget that. You belong to him. So many, so many terms and words in the New Testament that describe our relationship with him. Accepted in the beloved. Adopted. Over and over. We belong to him. Tonight, if you're not sure, then I urge you. Look to Christ. Maybe while I'm speaking, while I have been speaking, maybe the Lord has been dealing with you. Something stirring inside of you. And I, if I were not you, if I were you, I would not leave this barn until you've settled the matter. You say, well, that may take a long time. It'd be far better for you to take a long time here and know that you've laid hold on Christ and to walk out that door and spend eternity in hell. May the Lord help you. He's a good God, a gracious God, merciful. And he's not willing that any should perish. I believe that. I believe that. I hope you do as well. Let's bow our heads together in prayer this evening.
Father, we give thanks unto thee for the wonderful truth of thy word. Lord, we find such treasures over and over recorded for us here. Lord, forgive us for not digging more, for not searching more. Lord, tonight we've come across a wonderful treasure that we are thine. Long before we ever thought of calling upon thy name, thy voice was calling our name. We thank thee, Lord, for the comfort that brings to us when things get a bit rocky. We thank thee, Lord, for the assurance it brings, even perhaps in seasons when we do not hear thy voice. Lord, may we hold on to these truths. May these truths hold on to us. We pray tonight for those who are outside of Christ. Those who are still dead in trespasses and sins. Oh, Father, would it please thee this evening to open their eyes. Show them, Lord. I pray they'd feel an unbelievable sense of loneliness this moment. May they recognize the only remedy for that is found in the Savior. Christ. In Him is our salvation. In Him is our identity. And I pray tonight that you might in mercy save another soul. Encourage thy dear children, we pray. For we ask it in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.